0: And welcome to the Dine One Six, a food podcast about Sacramento, where we take you behind the scenes and introduce you to the people in Sacramento who are making your favorite dining experiences happen. I'm your host, Max Connor. I am joined by my co-host, Neil Little, who has taken a little break to grace us with his presence from his pizza making. Neil, how's it going? I'm doing well. Just in the middle of uh, letting some
1: dough rise right now, cooking up Mm. some uh, Detroit-style pizza tonight.
0: That is your favorite style
1: to make, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Fluffy and doughy, like almost like a focaccia underneath. It's definitely my favorite. I mean, it's good to be back on here. I have been busy as ever at work right now. It's actually really nice to see, you know, kind of it's kind of the first holiday season back where everyone is comfortable being out and about. And it's fun to see some old familiar faces and really get events going and people out and about. So it's it's really been fun to see and kind of gives me hope that things are getting back to normal. you been to anything fun recently?
0: Yeah, I have. I went to bondolios open house for those of you who don't know bondolios it's a small olive oil farm in winters and we had karen bond on an earlier episode of the podcast we'll link in the show notes if you want to learn all about how world-class olive oil is made here in california go back and listen to that episode but with olives they harvest them once a year and then they make the olive oil right there in 90 minutes and bottle it and that's what they have for the whole year so this is sort of their celebration event And they have tastings of olive oil and balsamic vinegar and all these different vendors. And it was delicious and incredible. Really, really amazing.
1: I actually just used a bit of that olive oil, on the last bit I had, on the pizza I'm using right now, so that's pretty fun. One of the fun things about pizza that I enjoy is how many people have such different opinions on what good pizza is, whether it's New York, Sicilian, Napoleano, or even Detroit style like I like. A lot of people have a lot of different ideas of how exact food should be, some of those being barbecue, Fried chicken, tacos, among others that people have opinions on. And we are fortunate enough to have Chef Greg Desmangels on, who has dived into all three of those food types in terms of creating his own identity with his restaurants from Bach to Urban Roots and now La Cerveceria at The Shack.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Greg also, you know, has moved pretty quickly from executive chef to essentially running a little mini sacramento empire at this point of all these different restaurants taking over the shack and opening that new cerveceria as well apparently they are making their tortillas by hand was the plan right before they opened i haven't been over there to check it out since they opened but it is open now anyway let's get to our conversation with greg to hear all about his history of growing up eating good food with his mom all the way to being the head of running these four different kitchens in sacramento Des Mangles, thank you so much for being here on the Dine one Six. It's great to have you
2: yeah, thanks for having me
0: Right on so we always almost open the show by just asking people what was food like in your childhood what was you know what was dinner like at home what got you connected to food early on in life?
2: Food was everything in my childhood if you can't tell by all this physique over here it's this is body by <laughs> uh, soul food courtesy of my mama Gina anyways uh, but no, food was everything um, that was all our gatherings, good, better, and different. I would say ninety-five percent of my child memories, childhood memories, are connected to food. Whether it be my grandpa and me in the backyard on our family's land, you know, planting the garden. Um, whether it was me reading *Stone Soup* for the first time, and my grandparents were watching me for the summer, and. They entertained me the entire day and we really made stone soup. So I went out and found a stone and we boiled it and went to the (laughs) garden and, you know, I had to go to my grandma and go back to my grandpa and back and forth. And, you know, they gave me these different ingredients and we made the soup and we sat and ate it with cornbread. Thanksgiving, I was always in the kitchen trying to grab scraps. Mm. Um, All the men were watching football and basketball and I could care less you know, because at that point I hadn't played any sports and I was the chunky kid in the kitchen trying to lick the cake bowl, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just everything that was comforting to me, you yeah. know, that was a lot of like, because my mom moved to San Diego when I was real young. Well, not really, yeah. I was four, um, but we moved to San Diego and it was me and her in San Diego. And like my dad was very much present, but he was just in Sacramento still. And so when it was just me and her, a lot of our experience was just food, you know. I go to school. In the morning, she'd me. me. First off, I wake up. I got two breakfasts. So I woke up. I got, like, a smaller breakfast just to, like, kind of hold me over. Then she would make, like, the real breakfast that we would eat right before we left. And then on the way to school, she'd give me two donuts. So my mom kind of set me up, like, for, <laughs> like, success, like, and happiness. But, yeah. like, eating habits, definitely detriment. But, <laughs> you know, then— she picked me up. I I went to, like, a private Christian school, and we ate really good. Like, they made all the meals from scratch and stuff like that. It was, like, in the middle of the hood. But food was excellent. Kids were terrible. Food was amazing. And then she picked me up, and we go home, and we might go to a Chinese spot that was down the hill from our apartments in San Diego. Or, you know, my mom, everything she cooked was from scratch. Nothing was out of a can. Nothing was frozen. And even as a single mom, like, that was her commitment. Wow. And so it was just like it was, there wasn't an option. That's just how, you know, I, that, that's how I think how my mom, really with me, that's how she showed her love. Like, even when, you know, she might have been struggling or whatever the situation may be, like financially, it was like, oh, I got a sugar butter sandwich. But to her, it was something that this is our only option right now. But for me, it was a treat. I was like, shit, I get to eat sugar and butter, you, yeah, know, right. for, for, you know, for my dessert or whatever the situation may be. But that was always you know, kind of my love connection.
1: So when did you know you wanted food to be a part of your future beyond just the passion between you and your mother? Like, when did you know, like, oh, I want to be in the kitchen creating this stuff?
2: I don't know if I necessarily had, like, a moment where I was like, I'm going to be, well, kind of. So, like, I've always loved food. Food is always a part of my life. But, you know, I did the thing. I'm trying to make my family happy, you know. I think I'm I'm admittedly a people pleaser. I want people to, to be happy. I've always kind of been a solid kid. and never got to a bunch of trouble and stuff like that. And you know, my parents and my family has always done right by me. So I try to do right by other people and stuff. And so I wanted to be the doctor and the lawyer. I've Always been told I was smart and good at math and all this other kind of stuff. But I never could stand school. Mm. And for the reason of like, you got to tell me. Even though I aced trigonometry, calculus, but why? When am I going to use this in real life? Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm like. What what about this is going to make me successful in life? And because of that reason, I just didn't apply myself. And if I tried, I'd crush it, but I just didn't want to try. And I'm not stimulated. This doesn't make sense to me. You know, like, I love sports. I love, and that was probably the only reason why I stayed through high school. And obviously, like, honestly, my parents kicked my ass if I tried to drop out. (laughs) But, you know, back to the... Kind of the, the original question is, you know, I want to be a lawyer and a doctor and all that kind of stuff. And I just was like, I can't do this. Like, I was paying out of pocket. It was just community, you know, college. I was going to ARC or whatever. I had this moment where at the time I was working at Bel Air as a bag boy and I was walking through. I was like, I think I was doing like go backs, which is like taking all the stuff from the front that people didn't want or took out their car and you put it back in the aisle. And our story manager came up and he was always like super high energy. He just irritated my soul. And <laughs> like, and he came up, he was like, you really don't seem like you want to be here. And I stood up and I looked at him. And I was like, yeah, I think you're right. And he was he kind of like looked at me and I was like, yeah, I just don't. this I was like, this isn't nothing about this is fulfilling. And he was like, all right, his name was Randy. And uh, I had been asking at this point, Rob, my uncle, I've been asking him for, I don't know, months, maybe even over a year at this point. I'm like, hey, I just want to work. At Pangea. I was like, I just, I don't like whatever. I don't care. But I went in with my mom. We would sit at the bar, and we would just talk and kind of just like watch service and stuff. I mean, sometimes we'd come in. He'd be sleep on the couch because it'd be so slow in the afternoon. But this one night we came in, and it was bumping. And there was people sitting at the bar and all kinds of stuff going on. And I had my first craft beer. Of course, I was 21. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I had my first craft beer, and it was Kwok it came this crazy glass and it was like this wood stand and it was like an hourglass shaped glass, but it didn't have like a flat bottom. So you had to sit it back in the stand, mm. but it was real awkward to just like pick up and drink out of it. And so anyways, I'm drinking this beer and I'm like, wow. And it's just this energy and there was this buzz. And this was like at the kind of almost like the beginning of, you know, the craft beer movement in SAC and people taking it seriously, you know, cause it was like at that time it was like $8 for 10 ounces. Like you're You've lost your mind, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, was like what's you know, is this golden or glass? You know, at this point, it's like, is it cold? And I was just like, I just want to work here. And he was like, No, no, he didn't want to work with family. I'm a young kid. He's like, he don't know how to work hard. He doesn't care. Whatever situation is, I'm guessing they were just understaffed, and it was what 2011 Beer Week. And then he finally was like, You, you still want to work? And I was like, Hell yeah, <laughs> I want to work. Like, what's up? Like, I'll, let's let's go. I'm still in college. I'm still working at, at Bel Air and stuff. And he was like, Yeah. He's like, All right. Come in, we need you for the weekend. So I just bust and wash the dishes for three days. It's the longest three days of my life, mm-hmm. but it was the funnest three days of my life, and it went by like that. Like, though it was long and it was hours on my feet and stuff like that, but it went by in a flash, and I was super proud because I didn't break a glass until literally I was doing my last run for the night on the last day of beer week. And— Everybody at Pangea likes to crowd around the corner when you walk behind the bar. And somebody just turned around and bumped me, and I dropped, like, a glass. And I remember the whole bar being like, oh! Oh, And I just froze for a second because I was like, everybody's paying attention to me. It got super loud, and everybody just laughed it off. And I just remember being like—and something was just like, I don't know what exactly I'm supposed to do, but I'm supposed to be here. Mm. You know, like, this is the energy. Like, I I haven't—I think at that point, I had just been doing— what people have been telling me to do and at that that was the first time I had something like outside of playing sports and stuff in high school that I was like wow there's something magical about what's happening you know in this space and I couldn't put my finger on it it was just like the energy and the people that were there and when they were there and the movement everything else so pretty much from that I just kind of slowly started dipping my like getting a little deeper and deeper into it and I was like I like food and whatever and they because it was kind of like a rotating door who was running the kitchen at the time which was like Panini Press and you know like French bread pizzas and nachos and stuff like that. And I think we had a couple salads. And they are like, oh, you like food? Well, you know, you can do it. So I started taking, like, more shifts in the back and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, like, take it over. And I, You know, I thought I was doing something, like, running the kitchen with my, like, two catering ovens, two panini presses and a microwave, you know, uh, two turntables and a microphone. I just kind of made it up in my mind. I was like, you know what, this isn't for me. I was like, I really like food. And I went to my mom first because I was like, I'm thinking about being a chef. And I was super like, and I wasn't even confident like in me it coming out of my mouth. And my yeah. mom was like, you should totally do it. And I was mm-hmm. like, really? And she was like, yeah, you'd be great at being a chef. And I was like, you think so? And she was like, totally. Great. You love food. All you know is food. That's all we've ever done. And that gave me the courage to be like, all right, I'm going to go tell everybody else. And I told my dad. And my dad, of course, you know, being a man, he's very cerebral. And he's an engineer and stuff. So he uses calculus. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) You know, and for him, it was, you know, he was like, he was the same thing. He's like, you'll be great at it, but you realize the field you're getting into, you're not going to make a lot of money. And you realize the lifestyle that you've been provided, you know, we like nice stuff and we like to travel and do things like that. Are you prepared to make that sacrifice? And I was like, you know, I'm young. I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, for sure. But it's like. But he gave that to me and, you know, some family members weren't so excited and Mm. some were more excited and whatever situation may be. And then I started stodging at Taylor's and whatever situation was. But that was kind of the point for me, I guess, when I told my family, because my family's everything for me. I still to this day work for my family. I've never worked for anybody else in this industry. Mm -hmm. So like me saying that out loud, because me talking about it to myself and even signing up to go to culinary school and everything else. And it was also a thing for my family, too, because I was like, I don't really want to do this college thing anymore. But my first semester in college, I got a 4.0. So my family was like, you you know, this is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And you're, and I was just like, I'm just not passionate. Because every semester after that, I just went down. But after I told my family about my mouth, I guess that would be the moment that I like committed to myself. Like, I'm going to do this. Really, well, really long-winded. I'm no, no that's, was That was like the perfect story. answer right there. Yeah. <laughs> like, you wove in
1: family. You've got a local restaurant. Like, I, I loved every one of it. So you started in the back. Then you moved up to the front of the kitchen. So you went to culinary school after Pangea?
2: So, yeah, I went to—so I started at Pangea just, like, buzzing tables and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I I was like, I'm going to go to culinary school, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And Josh Nelson from Sellins actually came in and stuff, and he was sitting at the bar. He used to come in pretty much every night, and I was talking to him. I was like, yeah, Josh, I'm really excited to go to culinary school. I signed up. I think it was Kitchen Academy at the time. And I was like, out in the Thomas. I was like, I went out there. I had done everything except for financials, and so I signed up, did the tour, everything, just on my own. I was like, I'm putting my big boy pants on. This is what I'm doing. Nobody's gonna tell me otherwise. And he was like, Yeah, you shouldn't do that. (laughs) He was like, because he kind of he and he was the first person like. There's people in my family that I was like, but you don't know what you're talking about. And he's, I'm telling him because you know he's in this industry, Mm -hmm. and he was another person that kind of had that same approach, like as my dad did. He's like, you know, just make sure you know what you're getting into. If you really want to do this, or he asked me, he said, why do you want to do this? And I was like, I gave him, you know, the off the cuff and I love food and, it, you know, food's my life. And this is, you know, all the things that really don't matter when it comes to coming to chef." And he was like, OK, that's all cool. But when you stop loving it, then what? And I was like, then I'll just keep working. And I think when I said that, he was like, all right, well, if you're going to go to culinary school at all, which I don't think you need to, don't go there. They just got X, Y, and Z class action suits, blah, 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 And I was like, all right. And he was like, if you are going to go to school, go to ARC. But first, just get into a kitchen. And I was like, all right. And so I started stodging at Taylor's. And it was dope. I think I was there for like eight months. But it was just a stodge. I used to come in every Tuesday, work like four, six hours and stuff like that. And I was doing the culinary school thing at the same time at ARC. but I was learning more, and it was like 46 hours a week than I was at school. I was paying for that, and it was like, I think I was at school like twenty four hours or 24, 26 hours a week. And I was like, Yeah, I think I'm gonna just go do the stodge thing, just put my head down, you know, and just learn. And then, you know, from that point it turned it just went.
0: So yeah. Had you done much cooking at home growing up? Like had you ever really got in the kitchen at home, or was it really just that that first foray in that weekend at Pangea where you suddenly started to think like I'm gonna i I'm gonna cook? I always like to
2: cook at the house. I mean, you know, in my opinion, I just kind of used to, outside the holidays, it was just bullshit. You know, it was kind of like, you know, excuse my language, but it was just, I come home, I make noodles. For the mm-hmm. most part, I think 90% of my diet was out of birth at that time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I was a young kid after high school, you know, I'm partaking in shrubbery with my friends every weekend. And all I sure. did was, you know, play basketball, chase chicks, go out, work out, get high, and then, you know, play 2K and... Eat Alberto's. Yeah. That was like our whole, you know, that was our whole existence. Lose <laughs> your buys. It's automatic. What's, right. your, what's your Alberto's order? Now, my Alberto's order, I got three Alberto's orders. Uh, I'm either going carne asada fries, just straight up. Mm-hmm. And and it's always with or period. Large horchata always is either that uh, or I'm going with a super carne asada burrito. Or if it's breakfast time, I'm going number 24 at sour cream. But always with her. Chocolate. I was
1: going to say, do these vary by different hours of
2: the night oh, and yeah. stages oh, yeah. of soberness? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like standard is like late night or like, you know, not even late night. I'll say like middle of the day or something. Anything outside of breakfast, it'll be the, the super carne of burrito. Mm-hmm. If when I was, you know, partaking in the shrubbery all the time, it was number 24. It was the number 24 in the morning. And it was really the carne asada fries. And with the carne asada fries, I started, like, adding bacon and shit to sure. it. Sure. And so, I like, I was just like, whatever I can do to add <laughs> on to this, this is going to be great. You know, and so it was like, that was definitely the late night I'm stoned out of my face. Like, yeah. I'm going to go eat some carne asada fries and, like, crush this entire uh, uh, horchata. And then I might, you know, if I'm really, like, stoned at the time, I would get, like, rolled tacos. Right. Yeah. I love the That's rolled tacos. Fun. Yeah.
0: I was, number 24 is my... I get that pretty much doesn't matter time of day. that's, yeah, yeah, what, I, that's what I get. And yeah. then usually I'll order my kids rolled tacos, and then I'll eat two of them. There you go. So.
2: I'm impressed you guys know these numbers. I have no idea what you're talking about. I ordered it many a time. I don't. Yeah. I I have no idea how many times I've gone through that uh, that drive-through. But I guarantee if they did a rebuild today, me and my friends pay for half of it. <laughs> like, Straight up, like it was like it was an like every night thing because it was also like. When I would be coming home from work at Pangea and stuff, so when I was closing the line and stuff, I come home and I just stop out of berthos i might literally it was times where I would come home and I'd be so tired, I stop out of berthos I sit in front of my TV. I take like three bites of my burrito and then I wake up with my burrito like on my chest. <laughs> right. Like, oh shit, I need to go to bed and I need to take off my chef pants and go lay down and you know whatever the situation <laughs> was. But it was like it was a whole lot of that. Yeah. So you said
1: you always have worked with your family.
2: So you started at Pangaea. What was your next step after that? So I was at Pangea until Urban Roots opened. Okay. And so I was started busting whatever. I started working in the kitchen. Uh, we built out a kitchen. My uncle, Rob Archie, hired Rob Rossi as our chef. He came in, and he realized I had zero experience, skills. I was terrible on the line, so I got kicked all the way back down the dish after, like, running our program or whatever, and then I just worked my way up from dish and then it was like dish prep for a couple years. Um then I finally got back up to back up to the line when we got a new sue. At that point I was in a situation where I was like, I was a prep, but I was also, you know, the family member. And so I was like, Oh, you wanna be a chef? And so it was just like, you know, yeah, you're a prep, but you're also like running brunch and like doing all the prep for brunch and washing also washing dishes on that shift and whatever else came along with it. But I just was never really put on the line, especially at nighttime. I was working the line w- in the morning, which was cool, but I wasn't getting like the high volume reps of like, all right, I'm just gonna be on the station, and I'm just on saute and grill or whatever situation. Because it's a small, especially a pan, it's a smaller kitchen, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like <clears throat> if you're on grill, you're cooking burgers to your, you know, to your hand fall off. And then, but like I like saute because at the time, Rossi was really pushing us, and we were you know, searing birds and cooking uh, airline breasts to order and doing steaks and scallops and all kinds of stuff, burger included. That was challenging, but it was dope because I was learning and I was getting pushed every day, but I didn't really get a chance to do that until we got a new sh- Sue And he was like, hey, he needs to get up to the line. He's like one of our stronger guys. But it was a situation where, like, I've been doing prep so long, they didn't want to teach anybody else how to do prep so I mm. could get off the station. <laughs> right. it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So that was just the situation. Yeah
1: when urban roots was opening up you guys were primarily barbecue now were you a part of any of the decision making to go towards barbecue or did you just follow your uncle's lead
2: so the barbecue conversation so there was always a brewery conversation okay rob and peter you know rob was always like if I ever open a brewery I'm doing it with peter that was just he just made his mind up and you know cuz peter had done odonata releases and stuff like that earlier on before he you know started selling the the raw materials for brewing and stuff like that and we did a—I did a dinner. It was, like, my first ever dinner. It was called Mama. And it was—the food was good. Portions were terrible. I can only imagine what the food cost was on it. <laughs> but it was—I did, a, like, a smokehouse ramen. I, like, made the noodles from scratch and all this other kind of stuff. And Rob and Peter had the ramen, and Peter had, like, come up to Rob and was, like, like this is a thing. Because I did, like, smoked pork on it, and I did a slice of brisket on it. And Peter was, like— this is the thing. And, like, the next day, I think we were talking about it and stuff, and I think we were closing up, and he was like, yeah, you know, maybe we need to do barbecue in, like, a brewery or something. I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm like, all right. And then as they started getting more serious about it and started having talks, and then they got the location, and they are like, this is what we're doing. We're doing barbecue with the brewery. And I was like, say less. I'm like, yeah. whatever, whatever you need, like, let's do it. You know, so I was like you know at that point which is kind of now that I think back was pretty insane because at that point like I was a sous chef but I never ran a full kitchen by myself like I had a lot of the duties and stuff in the kitchen but I had no idea what it was like to you know run a full kitchen and nonetheless a place the size of Urban Roots like I went from Pangea Mm -hmm. which is like a quarter the size at best to Urban Roots which is a monster so I was like between the volume I'd also never cook barbecue professionally. Like, we did specials and stuff like that. Like, oh, I do ribs here and there. But I was working on a box smoker in the back, you know. So it was like it was nothing like the smoker we have now. And I started getting reps, and we got, like, a little Oklahoma Joe, I think we got from, like, Home Depot or something from Home Depot. And so I was just, like, trying to get some reps. But it was, you know, I watched all the Aaron Franklin. I read all the books I could and stuff like that. And that's just kind of been my journey where it was like I didn't come from Texas and work under XYZ and Lubbock and Austin. And also in my family, it wasn't like we did barbecue, but like it was like, you know, California barbecue. Like Backyard barbecue. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, we like grilled chicken thighs and links and shit like that. And then like right. my dad was feeling saucy. He'd do his ribs <laughs> that he like, you know, put a bunch of sauce on it, rolled and put it in the oven. And there's I still love his ribs to this day, but it's nothing like what anything we do. Yeah. You know, and so it was like I had zero idea what I was getting into, especially. And then we had changes in management stuff. Like by the time we were open, Brett was moving to Amsterdam. And so, like, I took on majority of the brunt of, like, getting that place set up. And I had zero clue what I was doing. Our opening crew was a disaster. <laughs> like, it was like, <laughs> you know, and it was like, and it was like you know, it was like, I think it was a lot of good intentions and it was a, a lot of hard work. But it's just when you have no idea, it's just like you're running the walls at full speed. Yeah. And you just, and at that point, it's just like how fast can you get up and start running again? Because, like, that's kind of what I took on as my superpowers was I can take feedback really well and I can implement it super fast and... I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to show up before you. I'm going to leave after you. And that was just kind of like my mantra because I didn't have the experience. I never felt like I was, you know, super gifted. Like, I don't know, you know, know how to make stuff taste good, but it wasn't anything that I just pulled out thin air how to cook brisket. It was just reps, yeah. you know, and that's just kind of been our thing. It's just our process. It's just like you got to show up and you got to try. You know, you got to take notes and you got to care. You just got to keep, and we do it to this day. You know, we're still tweaking on our brisket to this day. We're tweaking on our ribs to this day. We're tweaking on what smoked meats we use, what wood we use, you know, what temperature. Like, we just changed our schedule on the smoker to a 24-hour schedule. So, like, we have somebody in the building all the time right now. Wow. We got a, a guy that's our pit boss. He's not a pit master yet, but he's our pit boss, Isaac Wilson, and he works his ass off. You know, he started as a slicer and just moving around the line. He's been with us at this point for probably, like, three and a half years and is obsessed with barbecue at this point. But I think now we're getting to a point of really understanding and communicating. Like these are our standards and creating that culture just through our actions and our decision making. And it's it's not it's not easy because it's easy to want to let people be comfortable because that's what's comfortable for everybody. If you're comfortable, then I don't gotta worry about you not wanting to work or not wanting to do this shift or, you know, catching an attitude or whatever the situation is, right? Like somebody working overnight There's a lot of trust involved in that. You're in the building by yourself. And the reason we, because we did it before, and just the crew we had at the time and just the infrastructure we had, it it just wasn't, it was a nightmare. So now we have that infrastructure and, you know, we have most of that crew. I'm trying to build that team like we built the brewery team. You know, I'm looking nationally. I'm trying to talk to whoever I can, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to get serious people that care about barbecue or are willing to come and submit to a process to get on that station. And really invest in it. We're hanging our hat on our smoke meats. And that's why we're putting our flag in the ground. You know, we're not trying to be everything to everybody. But we are trying to be the best barbecue that we can be. And hopefully the result is that being the best barbecue in California at some point, being the best, you know, barbecue on the West Coast in general, in the nation, whatever the situation may be. But it's like those are the aspirations we're having because I look at our brewery. I don't look at like what other people in Sacramento are doing. I'm not even looking at what other people in California are or whatever. I'm looking at our brewery, and they have obviously a lot of local respect, but they have national, international attention mm-hmm. and respect. And I want us to get to that same point of reverence in the barbecue community as Peter has in the beer community and still be able to be the fun space that you can come and throw your parties at and have a great beer but also be really serious about the smoked meats we're putting out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's rad. I love that. I'm
2: starving now.
0: <laughs> 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 what are you most proud of so far at, at Urban Roots barbecue-wise?
2: Barbecue-wise, I mean, our brisket. It's cliche, and everybody always talks about their brisket sure. and stuff. But it is brisket is a fickle mistress. Yeah. You know, and it's a thing that I've seen us do really well. And that's the thing that I've seen us not do so well, you know. And what I've just realized at this point is it's just effort. It's effort and it's commitment, it's consistency. And that's the thing I'm proud of is our consistency right now. It's just not so much an individual. Like our brisket I'm proud of, but like our ribs are amazing right now. Our burnt ends are are amazing right now. And... Our consistency that we're – <laughs> but, you know, it's it's the consistency that we're getting to. Consistency yeah. with the smoker and just, like, attention to detail that we're getting to. Our fire management, really, like, the fundamentals, which is, like, nothing obviously anybody that doesn't work in a smokehouse thinks about. But it's, like, the first book I read when I was learning how to work a pit was Aaron Franklin's book. Mm-hmm. When I read it, I was like, why are all the recipes in the back? What I realize is, no, recipes don't mean shit. Yeah. As you get deeper into it, it's all about the process. That's why he talks about how to build a smoker and how to build a fire and how to pick wood and the density of wood and the water level in it and how to build a fire and oxygen and smoke and breaks all these things down because you have to have an innate understanding of all these things before you can worry about a recipe because you can get this recipe and you're going to thrash it because right. you have no idea what you're doing on a pit. You don't understand what dirty smoke is. You don't know what high combustion fire is. You don't know what clean smoke is. You don't understand airflow. You don't understand a green log versus a properly dried log. You know, it's, There's all these things that it's a really simple process, but because it's so simple, all the details stand out. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? It's like before we are, because it's convenient and we don't got to worry about it, we get 16 mesh black pepper, come in. Now we're grinding it, you know what I'm saying, pretty much to blend. And so it's like the freshness and you're getting that pepper pop and things like that. And so it's just like really evaluating from top to bottom, like how can this be the best product that we can put out, period. And it was banging on our producers and it's making sure we're trimming it properly. And is this the best brisket we can get that makes sense in this market? Mm -hmm. You know, that makes sense for our process
0: and on and on. Yeah. Wow. So you, you've taken on barbecue and then you guys decide to spin off and open another spot and take on another of people's favorite, you know, (laughs) soul foods, if you will, that people can have very strong opinions about and fried chicken. So tell us uh, about the process of deciding to open Bach and how that went.
2: Yeah. I mean, Bach has been a a lot of things at this point. And I think that Bach is now starting to hit its stride. I mean, it started as just kind of, you know, it was going to be a passion project, you know, between two people. Um, it's now Urban Roots, and we're now, I think, f- just now finally starting to really understand where we want to be and what we're trying to do in that space. But, you know, it's uh, we obviously like doing what people have a lot of opinions about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, being, being fried chicken, but I really like where we're at right now with our fried chicken. I think we've gotten back to just, like, what we feel is good fried chicken. I think in the beginning, it was a lot of, like, what people think and is this unique and, You know, is this different? Who else is doing it? And that's just not what we do as a company. We do what we want to go eat. Yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, we're common people. You know, at the end of the day, that's if I want to go get fried chicken, it is how it is at Bach. Right. You know, if I want to go get barbecue, that's how it is at Roots. If I want a taco, that's how it's going to be at the new spot. You know, so it's like now that we're really kind of understanding and really getting comfortable, I think, in our own skin and really starting to I think appreciate ourselves for the time that we spent in the industry. I think we've always come from a really, really humble place. And we continue to be humble and we continue to, you know, keep our ears open and try to learn and take feedback and stuff like that because that's our lifeblood. But it's also really starting to understand, like, what do we do well and doubling down on it yeah. and being confident in that. And the also understanding, like, yes, there's feedback, but there's also a reason why we're at where we're at and to continue to stay on that wavelength of keeping things simple but executing to the best of our ability so you just let a little
1: comment out there
2: <laughs> uh,
1: another opinionated food topic you guys yeah. are doing a taco taco spot
2: yeah are you allowed to talk about it yeah, yeah, yeah. okay talk about it we're shit, we're getting close to opening
1: so yo so what's
2: the where where when how all that uh yeah so we took over the shack
1: oh okay, oh, oh, no okay. Way. okay. all right yeah, yeah. I did
2: hear about that I didn't realize okay but we've taken over the space and um, we're just doing a fun like California taqueria. It has a full bar. So it's going to that part is going to be focused, you know, heavily on agave, so tequila, and mezcal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have some Mexican corn whiskey and stuff, but it's fun. It's going to be a really fun bar using a lot of different Mexican and Latin ingredients, Mexican chocolate and peppers and all kinds of stuff. It's been the tasting for the bar has been really fun. We also are going to have like frozen margaritas and stuff for you know keep you keep you cool and yeah. all that kind of good stuff we're making our own agua frescas in house so mm. you know they're soaking rice and cinnamon and all that kind of stuff you know overnight for 2 days blending it doing all that good stuff in the kitchen we're doing tacos we're we're hand making our own tortillas so we're <laughs> we're we're getting the masa rolling portioning them pressing them by hand no machines at that time, Mm. that might change, you know, depending (laughs) on, you know, obviously, you know, volume. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, we're, I'm sure there'll be a learning curve across the board, but yeah, we're, we're, we're making our own tortillas, our own corn tortillas. We're even doing our own flour tortillas for our carne asada taco and kind of the direction of like a Sonoran style taco, just kind of paying homage to that region. Mm. But really it's, you know, we're just trying to keep it real simple. We're not trying to, do anything that's pretentious or anything like that. We're again, it's just trying to be a California taqueria. You're going to be able to come get carne asada fries and all that kind of stuff. We you know, we even got a couple of plays on your your local Taco Bell stuff like that. So, we're not taking ourselves too seriously. We're trying to pay homage, but at the same time, we don't want to be intrusive on the culture. We just want to pay homage and, you know, have a good time. And it's what makes sense for that space. We talked about a couple of different concepts, but it worked out our chef over there, Garrett Rodriguez. That's what he does on his own time with his own pop-up and stuff too. He makes Mexican food and does tacos and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it all kind of worked out serendipitously.
0: That's great. Neil's excited. Uh, so very, the listener I mean, is missed. Like, hit several, several tacos, several so. fist pumps from Neil over there <laughs> on the on the <laughs> podcast side here. Yeah, but yeah. uh so what? I mean, let's talk a little bit about you know, you mentioned Josh. I think it was, you know, said, what happens when you stop loving it? And now, I mean, you're in a position that is a long way away from, you know, just being a chef, running a kitchen, getting to make food. So what excites you? What's hard about it? How is it being in a position of like real management over a growing empire at this point in Sacramento of food?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, so I think as like a young chef, a lot of what like we crave or even as a young cook, it's like you, you become a sous chef, you become a chef, and first thing you think about is like creativity and I have this control and I get to my food and I want you to understand what I'm thinking and it's a lot about yourself mm-hmm. because you spend so much time executing other people's. You know, and I think right. that was, and that was a lot of the sentiment that was passed down to us. Like, this is my food, this is my kitchen, this is the way I do it, you know, and with myself, what I've learned is it's not a it's not about that. And And I've also realized why, like, some of those people I've worked with haven't been successful in that, right? Mm. Or, like, it hasn't, at least for myself, it's not a successful situation because it's not about me or myself or whatever the situation may be. I might know what works, but we execute it. You know what I'm saying? It's very much a team. Like, we used to start and be like, oh, we're a family. And family's cool, but sometimes family's dysfunctional. You know what I'm saying? And you don't get a choice with family. And so now it's, it's a team. Right. Because we all have our function and it's a secondary family, but we have our function first and we all got to do our part. You know, what I'm saying we got to play defense and get on offense and make sure we communicate and screen here and whatever the situation is. And everybody has to play their part in their position for us to be successful. As far as in my position, it's it's finding inspiration and it's finding drive in these new positions of like what is motivating and inspiring for me and at this point what's motivating and inspiring for me is like figuring out the best ways to provide a safe environment for the team Mm -hmm. and safe not just being like you know physically safe but also like mentally safe and people feeling you know like if they're they feel like they've been done wrong they're heard and we're constantly stewarding those things making sure our systems are running properly. Making sure that you know we're like we're profitable, so everybody can make a, a equitable wage and everybody's put in an equitable position. We're trying to provide as much or as many benefits as possible. You know, right now we we have health care, like four hundred one k and stuff like that, but we're looking to continue to expand on those things. Yeah. For myself, it's I'm learning that like my job is consistency, pretty much. Mm just across the board. I haven't had anybody in this position before me in the company, obviously, because the company is young and growing and things like that. We got a new CFO, uh, Josh Blackman, who I'm learning a ton from. We're all learning a ton from. And so I think it's just taking on new challenges and understanding that, like, the only thing that food is not the only thing to be passionate about Mm -hmm. because I still very much deal with food. I just deal with the big picture of food. But as far as, like, being the chef, it's understanding, like, how all these different spaces, because none of our, our concepts are the same. Right. And so they're all different beasts, which is kind of like, I'm getting a crash course on all ends from that right now, you know, because, like, I'm a new dad, and we're actually expecting it again. Oh, now, wow. Congrats. Yeah, so. Congrats! Thank you. Appreciate it. And so it's like, it's the same it's the same situation. Like, the business needs something. My wife needs something. Our child needs something. And then within the business, Urban Roots needs one thing. Puck needs one thing. Pangea needs one thing. Mm-hmm. And now Cer- Cer- Cerveceria needs something different. And so just understand those different concepts, understand those different chefs. So it's a lot of time management for, for myself. It's a lot of organization for myself. That's probably the biggest challenge is you don't have a boss. And so you got to figure out how your time is best spent and, you know, kind of triage. like you know, <laughs> Where do we need to stop the bleeding first right. or what fire is bigger and how much faster do we need to put it out?
1: Now, I know you're doing a lot outside of the restaurant as well, uh, and I know you participated in the West End Dinner and the Bridge Dinner Fest, the Farm to Fork Festival. Tell us what these events are like for you and, and what it's like to be a part of them, especially now being a, one of the bigger names and chefs in town.
2: I appreciate that. It's, it's, been, it's been super fun. I mean, oh. I think I've always had a, a level of appreciation for, like, the Bridge Dinner and things like that, being a, a young cook and a young chef in the city and hoping to get invited to it one day actually being out there, and then also after the pandemic, having a whole nother appreciation for it because it was illegal to do what we we do as a career for two and a half, almost three years. And so being able to do it on a large scale is beautiful, especially with the bridge dinner. That was only my second year, being able to work the bridge dinner. And for my second year to be put out there as a future chef on the bridge and to be able to work with my peers and chefs I've looked up to for a lot of years... It was super exciting, but it was also, it was nice to bask in the moment for a little bit, especially for myself. I feel I'm humble. I don't know if other people perceive me (laughs) as that, you know, but I feel I'm humble. I'm confident at the same time because I put the work in, but I don't do a lot of living in the moment. I think it's kind of hard to do that, especially in this industry. I mean, I just, today, you know what I'm saying? If you're an adult and you got kids, or even if you're just an adult, like, You know, you're thinking about the next week, the next month, Mm -hmm. the next bill. Because if you, you know, spend too much time in the moment, you get left behind. So it was nice to because, I mean, it's like it's almost like 10 months of planning for the bridge dinner. And when Brad gave me that call, I was kind of like, because he said so like I did that. I was a pod chef um, last year and he was like, yeah, maybe next year you'll be out here. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, (laughs) he's full of shit. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to be a chef. This is my second year. He's not going to, you know, call me. He was dead serious and he called me, and I was like, wow, this is that's crazy. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, it was, it took a good couple of days to for the, my cheeks to relax and to stop smiling, <laughs> you know. Also, for myself, just kind of seeing like where I stand amongst my peers and can I cut it? And I was confident in what I did, you know, full transparency. My rice was a little crunchy on the bridge, which I wasn't completely mm-hmm. happy about, but you know, overall, it was a dope experience and being able to work at Central Kitchen, which was amazing. That place is a chef's fucking candy store. Like, if you haven't been to that place, it is an amazing space, and they're doing a lot of dope stuff for the Sacramento Unified School District over there. That was a life-changing experience for myself, but it was also just a kind of a, a boost for myself and my confidence and just understanding where I kind of stand in the in the lay of Sacramento. And also, it was dope to, to feel that kind of recognition and respect for my peers and just Sacramento in general. The events in general, like doing the, the West End event, That's super dope because I always like doing anything that's involved with Last Supper Society. Byron and Ryan do really good work. And also just being out there with the peers, being out there with, you know, Dennis and and Gina and uh, Jareem and Billy and, you know, on and on and on. It's always fun because I I have a different appreciation for that. Before it was like I was the cook that, like, didn't get paid to come out and hand out whatever bites we were doing you know, for these events before. And I was kind of like, all right, like yeah, I like going out here because I get to see the chefs and stuff. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm not getting paid and I'm not going to be home till two, you know. (laughs) Right. But now... Being able to do these events after we weren't able to do them, I just think there's a different level of appreciation for it because it's like none of this is promised. I think that we're back in the swing, and I think a lot of people have like kind of started to lose that appreciation because that's what we do. We're always looking forward. We're always in hyperdrive. What's next? What's the next menu? Literally, you put a menu on, you're like, all right, so you start working on the next menu immediately. And So it's like to stay present but also stay appreciative of this is where we're at and this is... We are not that far removed from where we couldn't do these things.
1: Well, that was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> all those answers were amazing. I'm totally enthralled right now and still starving.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. We
1: got to stop doing these at noon.
0: No, we do it right. at the worst. Uh, I mean, we're, we're always doing food podcasts and it's time to eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like- and I, I mean, I, don't know, I know a lot of restaurant people I know, but like, I'm terrible about eating breakfast too. Oh, yeah. So now, yeah, exactly. So now oh, yeah. it's like, I'm ready to eat now. Yeah. Yeah, and
2: brisket street tacos with fried chicken sounds outstanding it right sure now. Does. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, shout out to my wife. She makes, I, makes sure I eat breakfast. We went to Frankette before this. So. Oh, Ooh, nice. I like Frankette. Yeah, Frankette's I love yeah. yeah, yeah, No, it's she gets her quiche every time we go. I get the brioche and jam, and then we figure something else out. Nice. Today we did like the little summer galette, which was fire. So
0: right on. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. sounds good too. So we'll jump into rapid-fire food questions that we like to do at the end. So the first one, we may have already hit this one, but what's your favorite cheap, guilty pleasure? Cheap,
2: guilty uh, pleasure? Carny setter fries.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) 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 What's what's your favorite dish to cook at home?
2: Cook at the crib. Anything involving noodles. Noodles is a deep love of mine. If I wasn't cooking um, food from... You know, what I'm currently doing, it would be something involved with noodles. I love Thai noodles. I love Japanese noodles. Noodles. Yeah, it'd either be that or grilling. Yeah. If I can be outside, but I don't, like, not grilling in a restaurant, like, over a gas grill, like, outside over, like, Mesquite coals or something Mm -hmm. like that. That's also, but I don't really consider that, like, cooking. Like, that's kind of, like, that's That's a pastime for me. Right. Like, because I can grill and have a little something in my glass, and even if I want to smoke a cigar or something like that. I could all do that outside, and I don't got to worry about nobody talking to me. Even if there's a thousand people around, it's me and the grill. So maybe it's grilling.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you just mentioned Frank Cap for breakfast. What's a, what's another place in Sac that you want to, you love to throw a little love to that maybe people don't know about, or is a place you go on an easy Wednesday night or lunch or whatever.
2: A place that people don't know about. Noodles to tie for on twenty fourth, twenty fourth and what, second. In uh, Curtis Park, it's a real small spot. It's right next to, like, the DMV building. Mm. Um and oh, okay. it's, it's, like, it's right across second from, uh, or it's actually Caddy Corner, uh, mm-hmm. Cafe Dan- from Dantrails. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right across yeah, yeah, yeah. from Curtis Park. Park it's, re- it's super small. And it's, like, it has this weird ramp that you got to, like, walk around and then walk back up the front. But it's this little family that runs it. Some of the best, if not the best Thai noodles inside. And what's it called again? Noodles to Thai for.
0: Noodles to tie for.
2: Yeah. Nice. That's Love a, a bad solid point. pun. Yeah. No, it's and, it, and, it, and the thing is, too, is, like, I don't eat a whole lot of Pad Thai in sack because yeah. it's all pretty watered down for at least most of the stuff I've had. Unless you, you know, go to Little Saigon, this place ha- does fire Pad Thai. Because, okay. like, I usually go for, like, Patsy U because I'm like, you know, that's usually all right. But the Pad Thai there is ridiculous. All of it's know ridiculous. Where I'm going next as well. <laughs> what dish from your childhood would you love to go back in time to eat? Ooh. I would say my mom's fried chicken and mashed potatoes. She just did a dinner. It was real simple. It was, it was all wings, uh, the whole wings with, you know, all three pieces connected. She used to shake it in like, a uh, it'd either be, like, a paper bag. but Most of the time it was, like, a gallon Ziploc. Mm-hmm. And she just threw seasonings and the flour in there, and then she make mashed potatoes, a lot of black pepper, of course, a lot of butter and milk. And my mom makes the, like fluffiest mashed potatoes, and I don't know how. And it's like she doesn't do <laughs> doesn't use a rice, like she used, like a little hand mixer, and there's the fluffiest mashed potatoes. Wow. And I'm like it's ridiculous. And then usually there's she would do greens, and then if she did greens, then she would do hot water cornbread too, mm. or she would do like fried chicken and. Uh, Cabbage, and you know, she do cabbage with like kielbasa. and she's like, uh, she put like some peppercini juice and stuff. Oh, was, yeah. Oh, but yeah, I was, mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes, greens,
0: fried chicken, hot water, cornbread. Right on. Yeah. I think that's the perfect place to end it. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I got nothing else at this point. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, Greg Desmangles, thank you so much for coming in, being on the Dine One Six. It was great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Well, I don't know about you guys, but I am starving right now. Brisket is one of my favorite things to eat. So is fried chicken. And then him letting us know about the cerveceria. Like, he just hits all three of my like craving foods that I really want <laughs> at any given moment. And I am so excited for what he's doing for Sacramento and really bringing his love to his food and sharing it with people. And I love that his goals are not just regional level, that he wants to be on the level of like a national known I don't want to say brand, but a national known product that he's putting out there.
0: Yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, I love his ambition, his willingness to take on these classic American favorites. And now's the time of year to get out there and eat them, man. I mean, you can put down some brisket and some fried chicken and a few tacos and then throw on that extra large hooded sweatshirt and no one's the wiser. So I've certainly been partaking in that type of eating lately myself after Thanksgiving and coming into Christmas, which uh, is why this is, you know, one of my favorite times of year. It definitely is a good season
1: to eat. Put on that sweatshirt, throw on those stretchy pants, and go indulge. Yeah, forget
0: cuddle season. It's just it's eating season. I'll cuddle up to some brisket. Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe or follow us on all the podcast platforms, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check us out on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram. That handle is at nine We'll keep you up to date on the guests we've had and what they are doing. And if you want to reach out to us, contact us directly if you have ideas for the show or guests you think we should have. Reach out to either max at dine16.com or neil, N-E-I-L-L, at dine16.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you like this episode, please, please share it with friends and family. The easiest way to do that is to just share if you're in the podcast app on your phone or just send them the link to dine16.com. Anybody can listen to the podcast on a phone or any device right from there. The latest episode is right at the top of the website just email it or text it to somebody and they can hit play and check out this episode with Greg. Our opening and closing theme music are by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens. The Dine One Six is a production of the Hear Me Now studio in Citrus Heights, California. Join us next time as we have another chef on who has an unbelievably unique story as to how she got into cooking as an executive chef. One of the more unique backstories we've heard to this point to making her way to into a restaurant kitchen pretty much accidentally. So stay tuned for the next episode, should be out next week. Until then, as always, and in this holiday season, eat something you love with someone you love.